decision to follow Jesus, but oftentimes mine gets hung up in other stages. It's the I am debating whether I should follow Jesus stage, or it's the I'm delaying following Jesus stage, and it's not as always as firm as that man's was. And so I appreciate Joshua chapter 3 because I think it's, a, it's an example of what it means to say I'm going to follow God and, and in doing that, um, whatever it costs, wherever it leads, that's where I'm going because I'm following him. And so I, I think in a much more positive way, we get this account that tells a story of men and women who were willing to follow God through a difficult and scary place, but they did it because they believed in him, and it's what faith looks like. I love the story of, of a Sunday school teacher who was trying to encourage the attitude of generosity in her Sunday school class of 10-year-old boys. And so she asked the boys in the class, if, if you had a million dollars, would you give that million dollars to help missionaries? And they all said, yes, we would do that as they raised their hands and screamed. Well, would you give $1,000 if that's what you had? Again, they shouted, yes, we would do that. How about 100 she asked. Oh, yes, we will all do that, they all said. Um, and then she asked, well, would you give $1 to the missionaries, she asked. And all the boys except one shouted the same enthusiastic, yes, we will do that. But the teacher noticed the little boy in the corner had not said, yes, I would do that to that last one. And she asked him, well, why didn't you say yes this time? Well, the boy kind of mumbled, I have a dollar. You see, sometimes it's easy to say, oh, if I had a million dollars, I would do this for God. Or if I had a thousand dollars, I would do this for God. Or if I had a hundred dollars, I would do that for God. But what about the dollar I have? Am I willing to give that? Because really, when you talk about what does it mean to be a person of courageous faith, it means it doesn't matter what I don't have. It means what I do have, I'm going to do something with it. And I'm willing to surrender it to God for God to use it in any way he, shape, or form he chooses. Real faith, real courageous faith is played out in real life, in real obedience, in real time in our life. And that's why it's scary. That's why it's hard. And that's why we sometimes struggle to do it. And so in Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, you find this account of Joshua and all of his fellow Israelites on the bank of the Jordan River. It says this, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now, just to get you in your mind, we showed you this map last week, but let me show you it again this week, just so you see where they're at. Uh, the Jordan River, some of us are spoiled because we live near the Mississippi River, or maybe you've lived in Egypt by the Nile River, I, most of you haven't, but you've lived near a large river, Missouri, Mississippi, those are large rivers, and to get across them is a difficult task, right? But if you take, if you actually Google the Jordan River, it's a pretty, it's a creek in a lot of ways. Some of you would have something bigger in your backyard, I'm afraid, in, in certain spots. And the Jordan River isn't always a, a, a great big river. It's actually a very small river, even easy to navigate in most settings. And so that's where the people of God are on this side, and, and they're about to go towards Jericho on the, on the west. Um, and so God is calling them that way, just so you have that mental picture in your head. And so 
In Joshua chapter 3, verse 2, it goes on to say, So after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, When you see the ark of the covenants of the Lord your God, which represents God's presence in his people, this small four by four by two gold-covered inlaid box that with these two beautiful angels on top of it that represented God's law, because the Tablets from Moses were placed inside it. It represented God's provision and God's care. It had some of the, uh, uh, the manna, a jar of that in there. But it also represented those two angels on top of God's where he's going to meet them. That's the place that he would meet his people in that holy place. And so, so when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So they're going to follow God wherever he leads them. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So again, just won't go into this, but just note the, the reverence, the holiness that God said, look, this is where I'm at, so just keep your distance because of my holiness. It goes on to say, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves aside, prepare yourselves mentally, physically, get yourself ready for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenants and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they went ahead of them. So four people, two guys in front, two guys in the back would be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. This a giant box, a small box on, on long poles. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So again, what's the big deal? This is just a small creek. This is not a big deal, is it? But it goes on to say, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, any other ites they could find that were inhabiting the land that were in the way. And so those were the folks that they were going to have to wrestle with and deal with. And so see, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And now... Then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now this is where it gets interesting because we're not talking about a creek anymore. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Many of you, we live in areas where we're prone to have flash flooding, right? Where small creeks, small rivers can quickly become very large and dangerous places to deal with. And, um, and that's exactly what's going on here in the Jordan. The small little river that exists probably 10 months out of the year, two months out of the year, the snow is melting and the rainy season is come and, and it's a much more large, dangerous river. And so all of a sudden, this isn't just a small thing where we're going to cross a, a small creek. This becomes a dangerous thing where four people are being asked to carry a large, heavy box into a flooded river. And yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It all piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, with, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. 
And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And so we'll stop there. The story continues in chapter four and we'll look at that next week. But here's what I want you to think about with me today. I want you to think about the courage, the courageous faith of, of those priests who were willing to take a dangerous step. This is a, I want to show you a video. This is the uh, Jordan River a few years ago at flood stage. Uh, you can play that if you want to. Um, this is the Jordan River at flood stage. Now this again, the river's different than it was 3,000 years ago, right? But you get the gist of a small river that now is flooded and you get the idea that I don't know that I want to carry a large gold-plated box into that, right? Who wants to go first to be the first person to, to take, the, take the dive here, right? And so you get that scene where this small river has become a much larger river. Now, it may not have looked exactly like that. That's, I'm not saying that's exactly what Joshua was facing, but it was certainly at flood stage, which would have made it a much more dangerous and vicious place to deal with. And so when you think, well, what's the big deal here? Well, God has led them to this place at a certain time. Now, God has been wandering around the wilderness with these people for 40 years. He could have picked any of the other 10 months of the year at any time to bring them to the small creek and say, put your waders on, let's go to the promised land. But he didn't do that. He has intentionally led them to a flooded river with women, children, animals, all kinds of vulnerable things, um, people that would not, nobody would survive that very well, carrying a large gold-plated box and said, I want you to cross that. And so we must ask the question, I think, that oftentimes we wrestle with in different contexts is, God, why did you bring me this direction? Why has my life gone in this direction? Because if you go back and in our Sunday morning, Sunday school class, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And, and when the Israelites left Egypt, I believe it's in chapter 14 and 15, there's a verse that after they have been set free by Pharaoh, there's a verse that talks about there's a nice road that goes right along the Mediterranean Sea up into the Philistine territory that would have been a perfectly easy, short route for them to leave Egypt, be in the promised land in just a matter of day, short days. But the Bible says God did not lead them that way. Instead, God led them into the deserts. And the lesson that we gave that, that material to is that God often takes the scenic routes, right? God often takes us on routes that are not direct. He takes us in directions that, that are thinking, well, wouldn't it be easier and shorter to go that way, God? But God oftentimes takes us the longer routes. And why would he do that? Why would he, instead of the nice, easy 10 months out of the year to be here at the Jordan River, why would he take him to the flood stage river? Well, I think that's a good question. And I think it leads us to our main point for the day. It's simply this. That for these priests, stepping in that river demonstrated their belief. Um, back up one, if you would. Um, I think I got it in there. Is there one before that one? One before? One before? Is there one before? Maybe not. Anyway, anyway, listen closely. I don't know if it's on the slides or not. For the, for the priests, stepping in that river demonstrated their belief that the risk of faith was better than the retreat of fear. Because what happened, there you go. Uh, it was there, see, magically. Boop. And so the risk of faith, right, was better for them than the retreat of fear. Because they had played out this whole retreating in fear thing 40 years before, right? Remember the, the, their parents who got to the very same place. God said, I've led you out of Egypt. I've done all these incredible things. I have led you here. Now let's go get it. And what did they do? 
sent out 12 spies. 10 of them came back and said, nope, we can't do this. This is way too hard. This is impossible. We will die if we go in there. And that negative message won over the people. They all revolted against Moses and God. And God finally said, enough. Uh, you're not going to go anyway. Uh, you're going to go wander. And this generation of people is going to wander in the desert until you all die off. And then I'm going to bring your kids back here. And I'm going to give them another chance. And that's where we are now. And so they have seen this whole retreat and fear thing not work out so well for their generation before them. But now they are willing to take a risk of faith to say, you know what? This sounds crazy. This sounds dangerous, but I'm going to trust God here. I'm going to trust, if I'm the first man in with the, with the ark, I'm going to trust that God's going to do what he said he would do. And so they took a risk. They took a step of faith. And so that leads us then to ask the question, why did God do this? Why did God have a purpose, or what was God's purpose in a flooded river? What was he after? What did he want for them in that moment? Well, let's think about a few things. I don't know if there's probably many of these that we could bring. I want to highlight three of them, though, I think that are relevant for why God sometimes leads your life and my life in directions that we would think, this is the flooded river way, God. This is not the easier, nice, smooth path. This is a hard path. So why are, you ha why are, why are we here, God? Well, maybe it's because... When you're in a flooded river place, maybe you see your need for God to lead. Maybe in that moment that you see, realize that as you sit on the banks of that river, and it's interesting if you read that text that he led them and he left them there three days. He could have just done it the first day, said, hey, you're already loaded up. You already got your camping stuff all ready to go. Let's just cross the river and be done with it. But he lets them sit there for three days, they camp there. So they look at the river three days. They sleep at night listening to this rush, raging river going by. And what are they thinking the whole time? There's no way we're getting across that thing. There is no way all of us can get across that river. That's impossible. We're going to die doing this. And so what is that drumming up in their mind? That if God doesn't do something here, we're probably not going to survive this. We're not going to be successful in this. And that is exactly the thought that God wanted them to have going into the promised lands going into all of these battles that were coming their way, God wanted them to know, you better follow my leadership. You better do this my way. You better follow me because the moment that you try to do it yourself in your own strength and your own wisdom, you will fail miserably because your ability to take this land is not because you are stronger. Remember, you're just a bunch of ex-slaves who've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and these are fortified cities with armies, with leadership, with all kinds of things that you're not going to overtake unless you follow me. And so maybe in your life and in my life, maybe the reason that sometimes we ended up in some of those flooded river feeling moments, maybe God is asking us to say, you know what, let me lead. Let me show you the way. And let me show you that my way is a good way. And that God is trying to get us to see that. And it's oftentimes it takes a flooded river to get us to see that, does it not? It does for me. Um, and so maybe it's, it's that getting God, helping, God helping us to see our need to let him lead us. Or maybe it's this one. Maybe it's seeing God in living color. Maybe it's the idea of seeing God in living color. What do we mean by that? If you were this generation of people who are now standing here at the bank of the river, you are seeing something very new to you. That's about to happen. Now, 40 years before, your parents were slaves in Egypt. Your parents saw the 
plagues in Egypt. Your parents experienced the Red Sea crossing. Your parents experienced God appearing uh, to Moses on the mountain and the thunder and the fire and the power of that moment. Your parents experienced a lot of impressive spiritual things. But these people either weren't born or they were just little bitty kids at that time with little memory of that. And so what were they going on? They were obeying God based upon the word that had been passed down to them from their parents, which was a good thing. Their parents had experienced very good and real spiritual realities in their walk with God. But those were their experiences. Those were their memories. Those were their stories. And so what was God giving to this new generation of people um, as they prepared to go into his land that he was going to give them and they, they needed, I think, some assurance to say, you know what, the God who was is still the God who is. And so you and I, I think that applies in lots of different ways for us. I'm like a third or fourth generation Christian, um, and my grandparents have great stories, they helped start a church, it was a wonderful thing, my parents are very involved in that, they have great stories. And so it's easy for me, has been in the past, to, to say, well, my grandparents, my parents, they had this great faith, and this is what we do. This is just kind of what Reynolds people do. We just do church things because that's just part of our life. And it was easy to do that because it just, I had good examples of it and showed me how to do it until I got older. Then I realized I can't do the things I'm doing just because they did it. Those are great black and white stories, wonderful examples, wonderful things they did. But I need to make God real in my own life. I need to take some steps of faith in my own life and, and make this real, make this come to life in real living color where I have my own stories to tell of, man, there's that time that, that I gave or that time that I tried or that time that I risked and God did these things in that. And so faith becomes personal when it becomes owned. And so this group of people were about to take ownership of God in a brand new way. It was no longer, oh, remember when God did that way back when? It was like, man, you see what God did yesterday? Isn't that the coolest thing? And they had their own stories to tell, their own confidence in God because, man, look what God just did. And so as they approached Jericho and all the other cities, there was a confidence because they knew that God was with them just as he had been with their parents and grandparents before them. And so maybe you are like me, you're a multi-generation Christian and, and it's easy just to lean into the faith that came before you. Um, my prayer for you and I would be that we would not rest in that, but that we would say, I want to make my faith my own. I want to own that myself and take my own steps of faith, my own risks for God, my own obedience to God and see God work in my own context. And it's my prayer for my kids as well. That I look at them that they grow up and um, they're preacher's kids and they grew up there. I just hope that they will own that too in their own way. Um, and, and so but maybe, you're, maybe you're a first generation. Maybe you're the one who, who came to Christ and you started a brand new thing in your family. Um, and I hope that you live out your faith with great faithful, faith-filled steps um, uh, and that you encourage the people coming behind you that they will experience God in their own living color as well. Okay, And so maybe the reason that God led them to the flood-staged river was to see, you know what, we can't do this ourselves. Maybe it was to just show God to a brand new generation of people to say, hey, this is a God that we can still trust in. Those stories are great. Those stories are a great foundation for our faith. But now in our generation, let's build on that. Let's build a new story. Let's add to the story of how great God is. And that's exactly what they do. And maybe there's a third thing. Maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's not about who I am. Maybe it's seeing God 
testify who he is to other people. Maybe it's about allowing God to see, you know what? Uh, and there's a verse we're going to come to in two chapters. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. There's a story there where the kings of that land, it talks about how their hearts are melting in fear because they've watched what God is doing through those Hebrew people. And, and maybe it was the idea that, you know what? Yeah, God was using the Hebrew people, but he was also doing something in the lives of other people who were watching that. And so maybe when God leads you to a place that feels a lot like a flooded river and he's asking you to step across it, or into it at least, maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about somebody who's watching. Maybe it's about somebody that's looking at you and saying, man, I appreciate seeing an example of faith because look at you, that was a hard thing. And you trusted God? That was a hard thing. You obeyed God. You stuck to your faith in that difficult moment. And, and maybe it's God just testifying about himself through that moment in the lives of other people who are watching. And so it could be other things as well. Uh, but I think those are three good ones. That may, why did God lead them there and then? I think it had a lot to do with what he was trying to do um, in them and around them. Uh, as a witness to himself. And so God had a purpose in leading them to that flooded river, just like God has a purpose and maybe your life ends up in a place where you're thinking, what in the world am I doing here? This is not the way I planned it. This is not the way I hoped for it, but this is where I am. And maybe it feels a lot like that raging river and God's saying, step into it. Trust me, follow me, obey me, and you need confidence. And I think Joshua's story can do that. Well, there's one last thing I want us to finish then. So God leads us to the river and he has a purpose for that. But a second thing I want you to see is simply this, that God's invitation is to a faith that steps. God gives you an invitation to a faith that steps. And what I mean by that, it's not a faith that sits. It's not a faith that just kind of studies. It's a faith that takes steps. It's a faith that moves, that obeys, that does something. You see, God invites us, as Rich Mullins used to sing, step by step to follow him, right? He says, hey, don't just sit on the, that side of the river. You got to take a step, right? It's here for you, but you'll get nowhere unless you're willing to trust me enough to take a step into this. And so to take a faith that steps. Hebrews chapter 11 is a beautiful passage, a popular passage for a lot of people. Hebrews chapter 11 is unique in that what it does is it commends people. It's a hall of fame of faithful people. But after every individual who's listed, when it talks about that Enoch by faith, and then it gives an action word behind it, that he pleased God by what he did. Noah, because, he, because of faith, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went, and he offered his son. By faith, Jacob blessed his family. By faith, jo Joseph spoke a blessing. By faith, Moses refused to be identified with Egypt, or he chose to leave them, or he left behind all the pleasures and, and beauty of Egypt. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. One by one, by faith, they stepped. They took some step that was relevant to where they were in that moment that God was inviting them to because of faith. And so I would just ask you and I to consider our own lives and say, would people describe you as being, having a faith that steps? Because of faith, insert your name, does blank. They live a certain life. 
or they give a certain way, or they don't live a certain life. Because of faith, they, they choose God. Because of faith, they are a witness. It could go on and on. But what faith does is it moves toward the future. In spite of a river that may seem scary and uncertain, it is willing to take a step in God's direction. And maybe you listen to that and sometimes we hear this and part of the reason that we sometimes delay in obeying God or we kind of debate in our own minds instead of just doing it is that we just don't feel led. You ever say that to yourself? I don't feel led to do X, Y, Z that I know God is clearly calling me to do and maybe the Bible even says it clearly. I should be doing this. I just don't feel led to do that. And that's kind of a cop-out in a lot of ways. It is a cop-out, actually. Um, but if your kids, if you have kids, and Monday morning rolls around tomorrow morning, and little Johnny, little Jenny gets up and comes and says, you know, Mom, Dad, it's been a hard weekend, and I just don't feel led to go to school today. I just don't feel it. I'm just not feeling like school is for me today. And some of you are going to be cool parents say, it's fine, go back to bed. But the rest of you are not going to do that, are you? You're going to be responsible. You're going to say, I don't care what you feel like. Go get dressed. We're going to school because the feels will come. They won't. Go to school. But you're going to go to school no matter what it feel like, right? And, and that's the way that we oftentimes we follow our feelings. I don't feel like doing that for God. I feel afraid or I feel uncertain or I feel nervous about that. So I'm not going to do it. But that's not what these priests illustrate for us, is it? They illustrate a faith that says, that's the craziest thing I've ever done. Let me pick up this several hundred pound box and let me take a step into a flooding, raging river. That's a crazy thing to do. But I'm going to do it because I've got God's clear word to say to do it. And so they did it and it paid off for them. And we'll see that next week, the, the reward of that and the testimony of that. But I just want you to think, is your faith the kind of faith that's stepping forward into a future that God has for you. As you pray, God, show me your will. I want your will to be done in my life on this earth as is in heaven. And you begin to read God's word and you begin to find characteristics and traits and habits of people who are following God by faith. Does your life look like that? Is your life growing in that direction? If not, then we're not having a faith that is stepping and so I just want to invite you today to think about, if you were to put your name in Hebrews 11, by faith, Chris does whatever, fill in that blank. What action verb would follow? Maybe it's by faith, I'm going to quit hiding. I have an addiction or I have an issue or I have a character trait in my life that is destroying and tearing me down. It's not honoring God. And by faith, I'm going to ask for help. By faith, I'm going to seek the help I need. By faith, I'm going to reach out and admit that I have a problem. By faith, I'm going to serve God, maybe here, maybe on a missions trip. By faith, I'm going to deal with that character hang up in my, or sin in my life. By faith, I'm going to start tithing and trusting God to take care of me. By faith, I'm going to quit wishing for more friends and get myself in a place where I can reach out and, and make friendships. By faith, I'm going to do those disciplines that the Bible talks about, like praying and reading my word and, and serving and, and thinking on God and meditating and memorizing his word. By faith, I'm going to do those things, trusting God to do something. By faith, I'm just not going to attend church. I'm going to serve my church and my people and the, of my community. Or maybe even best yet, if you've never responded to Christ, by faith, the step I'm going to take is I'm going to bend my knee to Christ in repentance. I'm going to confess his name as Lord of my life and be baptized into him. I don't know what step God is leading you to, but I just want you to think about today, do you have the kind of faith 
that's stepping forward into the future that God wants to create in your life. Would you pray with me, please?